and welcome back to the sideline experts. We're here for another week full of absolutely great rugby. This week's a special week. We get to speak to Fleddy Katu, one of the up-and-coming Wallabies hookers. But before we do that, my co-host, Mitch Parker-Wilkin, we're back again. How's your week been, mate? Mate, what wasn't there some absolute football and a half on the weekend. I mean, there's a lot oh. to talk about. Um, we've seen, obviously, the big news of club footy starting again. Can't yep. can't roll over that. That's huge mentions. But also, I think a special shout-out go has to go to the, the way of Scotty Fardy announcing his retirement, mate. That's What an innings. What yeah, an that, innings. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that was my first little topic that I was going to touch on here today, Mitch. Scott Fardy, obviously a legend of Australian rugby, left too early for so many, but you know, he really was that great story of someone who couldn't find uh, his little niche early in the game, but stuck at it for, for so long. He built his craft and really became a world-class player for at least six or seven years towards the back end of his career, didn't he, Mitch? Oh, wholeheartedly, mate. And you look at, we talk about how successful that that pooper back row was, but I mean, without Scott Fardy putting in the groundwork at the ruck and play, laying that platform, you know, the Wallabies probably wouldn't have succeeded in the way they did in that 2015 era. And you, the fact you can look towards him leaving, the Wallabies going downhill, and then him going over to Leinster, absolutely carving out a successful yep. career there, getting, you know, all these terrific um, toutings and awards. He, he, I'm pretty sure he got uh, European Ford of the year oh yeah yeah over there really highly phenomenal there too phenomenal so yeah absolute credit to the australian game and just the stalwart to rugby in general and mitch obviously since we've last spoke the return of club footy has been absolutely great shoot shield and queensland premier rugby in particular has been some amazing football the crowds have come out in numbers at the games We've seen some the ball flying around left, right, and center. It's been great to watch on stand sport and even better to be out at the games, hasn't it, Mitchie? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that we can just click simply hop onto stand and look at any club game across the across the two major rugby powerhouses of Brisbane and Sydney is just a testament to what this broadcast deal has done for the code and and Nine's commitment to helping to grow rugby. But also if you if you're there and you don't have stand, please get out to your grounds, support your local clubs, because I mean they are the, the the beating heart of rugby union in Australia. And if you want to catch any of your Queensland Premier Rugby uh, previews and reviews, we cover a lot of that on our Kennel podcast. So uh, just jump across. It's on the same channel and you can always just catch the West Rugby News on the Kennel podcast. Hey, Mitch, let's have a look at last round's review. Some absolutely belters. And look, some teams that are on the up, up and up. And that's the Force and the Tars, a screamer. The force getting up 31-30, who won it in overtime with the tick, uh, mm. kick to Domingo Miotti. To Domingo Miotti, yeah. To seal it Twirler, at the mate. end. What a game. Yeah. Look, th- this one had everything. It had the flair, the physicality, you know, a few upsets, a few tries out of nothing. Uh, um, mm. It was open. It was fast. The young players impressed. The olds impressed. Mitch, I, I just couldn't keep my eyes off this one, particularly the last 15 minutes. And and the big thing for me, Ned, is that we could not have picked a better week to get Folletti on the on the pod oh. because he was for me without a doubt the, the man of the match. He he had carry yep. meters that were terrific. That try he scored in the first half just showed his effort to ch- follow up and support the running players at all times. I think another shout out has to go the way of Jack McGregor, who was a huge injection of pace, particularly mm-hmm. late at the end. Even though he was on the whole game, he managed to keep that energy throughout. And lastly, I think Tim Anstey was a big one who has deserves a 
another pat on the back because he's certainly put his name on the radar. And if he can continue this, then he'll go far in the Pony squad this year. Yeah, there were some really interesting players. And you're right, you mentioned a few there. The, the other few I'd mention is... I really was, you know, there was a lot of talk about Ben Donaldson going into this game, getting the mm. gig over some of the more established squad members, seeing as he's been injured all year. He's come in, he started his first game. I was so impressed with his ability to play flat mm. and fast at the line. And it really gave that uh, Waratah's backline and, and front football a bit of dynamism. They, they were a bit more pushing forward off the ball. And I was really yeah. impressed with his skill set, Mitch. He, he looks like a real player of the future, doesn't he? And not not to forget that that incredible drop goal conversion. I mean, from the sideline to straight as an arrow. So I mean, shout out anyone who can do that gets praise in my books. But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And the good thing about this game was we saw both teams able to, and ultimately it was a force who got the candy. But I mean, both teams at certain points were able to arrest the momentum of the other. Obviously, it landed in the favor of the force. But I mean, the big thing that came from that as well has to be said is the fact that how many times in the last 10 years have we been able to point to an Aussie team and be like, they can hold the ball for 20 plus phases at the end in the of pressure the moment to yeah. decide it and set up a win. I mean, that is a truly uh, momentous mark in my point for the season and particularly going into the Tasman season, those Kiwi sides who probably have looked at it, Aussie teams and known for the last five years. Nah, we, if we just put up the pressure, they're going to crack. But I mean, it didn't matter what the Tars threw at them, the force stuck in it and, and they got the, got there in the end. So, I mean, huge uh, symbolism for the Australian game in 2021, I think. And on Sunday Arvo, we had the Rebels up against the Brumbies in Melbourne. And, and it was great to have some Sunday Arvo footy. It really felt like a throwback mm. to uh, when I was playing under 13s or something like that. <laughs> Mitch, this, is a, this really felt like a Wallabies audition for a lot of players. Uh, 26 points to 20 to the Brumbies in the end. They really had to, and we've said this a lot about the Rebels this year, They've really pushed the top teams all the way to the brink. And, and they, they were being so physical. The Brumbies were dropping balls that, that were really uncharacteristic of their game this year, Mitch. Yeah, it, it, it was a weird game, but it was the closeness of the school line kept it so intriguing. I thought, mm. you're right, there were some real put-the-hand-up performances. But weirdly, I thought it came from the players that we probably hadn't heard as much from this year. So a uh, big shout-out in that respect, Rory Scott, the young locket down at the ACT. Oh, I wasn't thought he great. absolutely chucked his name on the radar. Um, I thought some of the more established players, maybe like Joe Joe Powell and Matt Tamur, were probably a little bit off the, off the cog this week. I, I don't... Yep. I know whether that's a little bit of fatigue. I mean, Matt in particular has kept such a high standard all season. So what, what we put that down to, I'm not too sure, but yeah, there was, so there were these really good performances from Rory Scott. And I thought that uh, generally speaking, the front row um, from both teams was ex- to tremendous. I mean, when was the last time you saw that many scrums that, uh, that firstly were out, on the first feed, but secondly, that just weren't being penalized left, right and center. There were a few, yeah. but I mean, it was pretty good. Hey, now, speaking of scrum time, without further ado, we're going to throw to the interview with Filetti Cats, who I did uh, late last week. Uh, what an inspirational story he has, Mitch. One of the real nice guys of our game. And, and for such a tough, uh, uncompromising front rower, a really heartfelt story that will really uh, touch nerve with a lot of people. So without further ado, here's our interview with Filetti Cats. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sideline Experts. And today is a, a great day for the Sideline Experts. We're joined by Wallabies hopeful and, and squad debutante this year, Fleti Katsu. He's got an incredibly inspirational story 
from from a humble upbringing here in Brisbane all the way now to the Wallabies. Floody, thanks for joining us on the podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you, mate. Thanks for having me, Ned. Excited to be on you. Well, Floody, let, let me take you back right to the uh, right to the start. Obviously, you're a Brisbane boy. You, your family's a huge uh, rugby family. You, you all love the game, and, and I know your little brothers in particular. I played a little bit with them, and they love it more than anyone. Tell me how you started in your rugby journey and, and uh, where the love of the game began. Yeah, so uh, I was actually born in Newcastle, New South Wales, and lived there till I was about the age of five, and we moved north to Brizzy. My old man started a job there at the Royal Brisbane Hospital, and so we all moved up there. He's actually related to Todai Kefu's mother, and so nice little <laughs> link, but as a kid, she was like, oh, do your boys play rugby to my old man? And we hadn't really decided on a club yet at that time. We were living yep. on the north side of Brizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the Kefus are, you know, well-renowned at, at the, uh, at Chipsy Wood. Over so uh, we ended up, we ended up, yeah, crossing the Story Bridge every Friday, Saturday to, to travel to South since the age of five. It's, a, it's an amazing story, Floody, how you ended up over there. And look, you sort of played rugby, as, as you said, sort of new to the new to the area, and you go to Nudgee College, Floody. What was that like being part of a school that is really a rugby nursery? Yeah, so I guess for us boys, like my, my old man's a, a doctor, right? And uh, yep. his biggest emphasis growing up was always education first. But he also he also had a bit of a love for rugby himself and and that also sort of you know rubbed off rubbed off on us boys growing up he actually went to Auckland Grammar in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, and so he actually played first 15 there with some guys like um, sort of well-renowned uh, all black then called Matthew Ridge he ended up playing yeah. for Manly, Manly in, in uh, rugby yeah. league yeah yeah right so you, you do know him anyway yeah. so he was like I think he was like an outside back or a full back from yep. playing with my old man at the time wow. there were a couple other all blacks in his uh in his squad and uh Graham Henry was uh head co- uh headmaster he wasn't wow. he was uh, yeah he was he was principal at Auckland Grammar during my dad's time my dad actually had the choice had to choose between his education and his footy career mm-hmm. and uh he said you know, there were times there where his uh, study sort of commitments, you know, were so much that he had to he had to make an excuse, you know, for training and stuff. Like he actually had to choose between one or the other. Yeah. And uh, he says, you know, if if he if he didn't choose to go down his and, and put his studies first, he who knows where his footy could have ended up. But I'm like, mate, come on, <laughs> you're dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> there can only be yeah. one pro from the family. Hey, Floody, it, it seems like a, a, a silly concept, but I've often heard at schoolboy level that there's sort of a saying that um, if you can be disciplined in the classroom and, and get your study done, it actually converts quite well to the rugby field. I know yourself and, and your brothers are, are all quite smart cookies. Have you found that being able to study and learning to study and all those skills that you learn in school can actually be quite applicable to, to the game itself? Yeah, 100%, Ned. I think those values of discipline and hard work, if you instill them from a young age, you know, you get transfer into every other aspect of your life. And so, yeah, that was, that was drilled into us boys from a, from a very young age. And, uh, you know, thankfully it stuck with us, I guess, throughout our teenage years and, and, and through to adulthood. And you were quite a late bloomer as per se for the sort of traditional schoolboy 
pathways. Is that right, Flea? Yeah. So throughout Nudgee College, I played 13 A's. Grade nine, I played 14 B's, sort of got mucked around here and there. Played 15 B's in grade 10. Grade 11, um, usually a couple boys who are of interest, you know, get sort of looked at for first squads and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. never got a look in for a first squad in grade 11, played um, 16 A's that year because obviously a couple guys went up into first 15 squads and there were a few vacant spots or whatever. So played 16 A's in year 11. And then first 15 year came around and we actually had a new first 15 coach come in, Anthony Canellan. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure who was there before him, uh, like Todd Dammers, who's yep. currently coaching at South, um, was there through the, the earlier sort of years. Yeah, Anthony Canellan came in and um, I think we had a few sessions. And at that point in, in year 12, I like I'd, I'd always loved my footy, and but it was always that, you know, that always the priority was always study first from my yep. old man. So mm-hmm. first 15, and there were actually a couple of sessions in that first 15 um, preseason that were like cooked, mate. Like, and <laughs> it really made me consider whether I actually wanted to do it or not. Like, I think there were times there, you know, as, as <laughs> Russ front row is running and all that is, <laughs> is never easy, you know? So, out on the flats. Um, yeah, out on the flats around Hendry <laughs> over on that running track. I mean, that's made for the USA Olympic team, not, you know, not for the front row. But, yeah, so I don't know how it worked out, mate, but I just kept rocking up. I just kept, like, it was tough, but I just kept showing up and eventually things got easier and easier as I got stronger and fitter, I guess. And, yeah, the, this new coach, Anthony Canellan, sort of, I guess, really liked what he saw in me. I was playing then at the time with uh, Francois Postal, so... Me and me and Frenchie used to like go at it and compete for spots a fair bit throughout um, throughout high school and whatnot. Um, and so, year twelve, can't quite exactly remember who was like our loose head coming through the ages, but first fifteen came around, and I had to end up scrummaging at loose head prop, mm-hmm. and then they had Francois Postal in at hooker. But then I would throw line outs as well. So I would scrum, <laughs> I would scrum as a loose head prop and then uh, throw as a hard work for him. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> the most bizarre thing was I actually ended up making so this is my first ever time playing loose head prop, mm-hmm. like in, in at first 15, like in any level of the game. <laughs> I had never played prop before. Yeah. And in my first 15 year, got thrown in at loose head. I made. I then made Queensland schoolboys and eventually Australian schoolboys as a loose head prop. But it. all like all before that, I was a hooker through and through. But obviously, yeah, I don't. It's just bizarre. Like I, yeah, <laughs> made made the the national side as a loose head prop, and it was my first season playing in that position. But it's a great um, story, yeah. Flirty, because you go you go as a fourteen year old, someone who's sort of in and out of sides. And I know as a, as a coach here in Brisbane, you see that often, you know, kids are great talents or, or, you know, just having fun with their mates and, you know, you lose a lot of those guys now, but your, your story is one of sort of perseverance and continuing to work hard both on and off the football field. And it sort of paid off towards the end. So Letty, you left Nudgy and you continued on with your studies and you went down to play at South. Is that right? Yep. So finished year, year 12 and, um, and uh, I had the option of 
taking a bit of a scholarship at UQ mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, for rugby, you know, sort of that they would help out with tuition and, and whatnot. But the expectation was to play for UQ. Mm-hmm. Had a had a sit down with Paul Keane and Ian Cameron, sort of from South, who were the the big dogs there at the time, and you know they convinced me to stay at South, and I, I yeah ended up choosing to 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 play Colts at South for the next two years. It was yep uh, while I was just studying full time at UQ, and and obviously still like trialing with the with the end goal of trying to crack the Australian under twenties at some point. And eventually you do crack that side, <coughs> Flirty, don't you? And what what is that like? It, obviously you played Australian schoolboys, you play as part of the under twenties group. Do you do you feel like you're representing the country on that on those stages? Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's I guess it's no different to I guess what what you feel now, sort of having a bit of recognition in in these you know Wallaby squads and whatnot. It's it's still personally such an honour to be named for you know your country. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a privilege that very few players actually get to experience throughout their their careers, and um, you know one that I definitely don't ever take lightly. But yeah, so that was that was you know, a, a massive sort of goal of mine at, at the time to, to make that Australian under 20 side. And um, it, it wasn't easy. In hindsight, I reckon if I'd taken the scholarship at UQ, I guess, yeah, they had a, had a pretty good academy and, and sort of strength and conditioning program in place. Who knows, like, whether the, the development could have into that sort of space could have happened a bit sooner. But Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's all part of the journey. Like it was, it was all meant to work out this way. But yeah, yeah, and and, and you're exactly right. You head over to Jeeps after a few years, and you play some incredible Premier Grade footy. And it really felt like that was your coming of age as a as a hooker, Flirty, and it really pushed you on a new heights. What did you learn while you're at Jeeps, which sort of propelled you into that professional environment? Yeah, so went and played twenties and did my shoulder against. Uh, Italy mm-hmm. in my first start there in that in that tournament in New Zealand and had to come back and get a shoulder reconstruction. Oh God! Yeah, so that was a bit of a setback, and then did all the rehab. I was 125 kilos when I played at the World Cup, a Junior World Cup, and throughout my shoulder rehab, managed to come right down to about 110 kilos. So. Mm-hmm. Lost a fair, fair significant amount of weight. I was I had a, a fair bit of puppy fat back then, yeah. Um, as a twenty year old, and then yeah, so managed <laughs> hey, managed to come do. right, <laughs> uh, managed to come right down in weight. Yep, and then started playing again for for Jeeps the the following season. So didn't get much footy in that first year, and then that next year, pretty much exactly a year after I I'd, I'd done the my first one, I did it again. I um, popped it again in a oh, in a warm up before a game. Yeah, it was it was it was a tough time. So yeah, what, did my what shoulder is that like? again. Two two years. That's twenty four months really out without playing. Yeah. So pretty much from the age of twenty to twenty two, it was virtually you know like I I hadn't played much footy because it was wow. it was a lot of rehab and then come back and almost a year after I I done it at the world cup and did it again um and so yeah i guess it was 
you you just sit there and you wonder that's you know i guess those times where you start to to weigh things up in life and and you know have have those serious conversations with your parents whether you know you keep chipping away at this at this dream that is sort of being taken from you um yeah. and in ways that you you don't or can't always control you know so that was a tough period but i guess i just kept kept chipping away and and kept working hard and Eventually it came right that after however long that rehab took and started playing some really consistent footy at, at Jeeps. And like, I guess all throughout that was training for free at the Reds. So they basically said, here's a, here's a training singlet and there's, there's a spot there for you to, to come there's and train if, if you, there's the shed, there's a, oh, sorry, a training shed, uh, training <laughs> singlet. Like they gave me a, a training singlet or yep. shirt or whatever. And they were like, you know, this is all we can give you. You, if you want to come and train, it's 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 yours. If not, then I guess we'll find someone else to fill the gap. But mm-hmm. so yeah, I jumped at that opportunity to to go in and rub shoulders with you know all the big names there at the Reds at the time, and yeah, that was all a, a massive part of my growth. But initially went to Jeeps, did my shoulder, came back the following year and and had a solid season. Went into NRC. And that next year rolled around and I still had nothing in terms of contracts, you know, opportunities and stuff. So basically the thought for me was if I don't change something, how can I expect a different outcome? Mm -hmm. So I sat down with my manager and I was like, look, mate, I've, I've, I've battled away with these two recons. I've come back and I've played. I feel like some of the best footy I've played. And I still haven't been able to pick anything up. Can we shake the boat a bit and, and, and see? I knew for a fact that I couldn't just roll around in Queensland Premier Rugby again. Yep. Um, like if I was to do that again, it would, I would have called it a day and, and put all my energy and, and time into my education. So different he, yeah, yeah. So he put a few feelers out at that time and sent my footage around. And the, uh, the Canterbury uh, Mitre 10 coach sort of, it caught his eye a bit. And he, he came back and said he was interested. Wow. Um, what a compliment. Can, yeah. Can, Canterbury had a, had a hooker that was signed to them already, but he had a broken arm. Mm-hmm. And so he would, he would miss majority of the club season in Christchurch and then potentially some of their first couple games for the, for the Mitre 10 season. So he said, basically said, you know, there's no guarantees if you come over here. I'm not, I'm not giving you a Canterbury contract or anything, but one of our hookers is injured. The club that he is aligned with locally obviously require a hooker. Yep. And so if, if you, if you're willing to move and, and come over here for this little uh, block of time, and if you impress and play well, there's every chance that you could sneak your way into a Canterbury squad and, and potentially debut, you know, and Island families, Tongan families and stuff, buddy, I was, I was well over the age of 20, but leaving home is a, is a massive thing, especially for you, for my parents, like, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the oldest of three there, you know, as much as they have control over over the household and stuff, like I play a big role in terms of, you know, my brothers and leading the way there and stuff. So me leaving would have left a, a massive hole in the, in the family and it did. Yeah. 
but I was like, I begged them. I was like, literally, you guys have been driving me around since the age of five. Yeah. You know, back and forth across to South. So much time invested in this game. Like, I know it's it's been a hard old road, but let me go and give this one last crack. And if if it doesn't work out, I, I promise I'll come back and, and give it my all. Mm-hmm. And it, it took a bit of convincing, but eventually they came around and, and I guess understood where I was coming from. And, and yeah, I think I received that news that the Canterbury coach was interested like on a weekend, like a Saturday or something. And that next Thursday I was on a plane to Christchurch. Wow. And what, what yeah. is that like for you? Does it, for you, is that pressure to, to represent your family and to give it one last crack or is it, or is that that feeling of you know what I've got nothing to lose here? I might may as well just go for the go for it all. Yeah, a bit of, a bit of both. Personally, I'm a I'm a very motivated individual. When I've set my mind to wanting to achieve something, like I I guess I try not to leave any stone unturned in trying to attain that goal. And then I guess at the end of the day, if if I've given it my all and I and I still haven't yet reached those heights, then I can. I can rest easy knowing that I literally left nothing in the tank. I guess sometimes the disappointment can come in when you you fall short, but you know there were things where you didn't quite give it your all. So, but obviously the the wanting to to give back to your parents and and make them proud is is honestly what drives me. And um, yep. it's a it's a bit of a side point, but it really uh, hit home for me. We had a. We had a bit of a cultural meeting, I think, at the force earlier on in the year about what drives us, what's in, you know, what's important, what's your why. Yeah. And uh, Greg Holmes got up and, and spoke and he said there was one game, I think it could have been his debut for the Wallabies or, or a game where his parents managed to make it out from country Queensland and he had a blinder of a game and he came across to see his parents and he described it, he said, what gets him up, what drives him is that look. And he described the look as that look when you come over to your parents and you've had a blinder of a game and you, you can just see it in your father's eyes. Mm. He's got a twinkle. Mm. And he described it as, as that look and that feeling. And that's what constantly drives him. He, he's constantly chasing that from his, that look of pride, of absolute pride from his parents and and that really hit home because that's that's what does it for me as well you know yeah that's everything you're right that it's it's something that binds everyone together is it everyone wants to represent their family and represent their origins and it's something that uh many people can can bind together behind filetti you then impress in canterbury and obviously play part of that mitre 10 cup campaign do you remember getting a call from was it todd sampson how did you end up at the force yeah, so played. I actually played debuted for Canterbury, mm-hmm. and then I got injured in like a so below minor ten and and above club level. They've actually got another little mini competition and grade going on, um, which is like Canterbury A, Canterbury B, Canterbury Maori. So it it doesn't just go straight from club level to minor ten level. You've actually got another little subsection oh, in the middle wow. there. Yeah. And you and you wonder why guys are constantly getting developed and, and improving <laughs> and stuff, you know? Yeah. They've got so many little tears along the way. Playing anyway, so, so yeah, I 
yeah, I earned my Canterbury tie, which was a huge moment. I played, I don't know if you know what the Ranfurly Shield is, but I, yep. so the, my, my debut game was the Ranfurly Shield defense against wow. uh, Wanganui. And we, we smoked in that game. They're, they're pretty, they're obviously not as strong as Canterbury and stuff. They're a little country, little brother country team. Yeah. But then, yeah, in a, in a Canterbury B game, the following week got injured. So ended up missing majority of that Mitre Cup, Mitre, Mitre 10 season. Mm-hmm. But then got a little stint as a medical joker in Japan at, um, at the Kubota Spears. Yep. So went, went there and experienced that. And this was all on the back of having a red and black jersey on my back, you know? Yeah. In, in Canterbury, like, it, yeah, just the value of, of being in that program was immense. So ended up in Japan for a bit and then come back from there and, and again, didn't really have anything in, in terms of full-term, you know, footy. And then one day just back, I was back in Christchurch and got a ring from my agent and just said, the force have just been kicked out of super, as you'd know, but the Twiggy Forest is, he's going to take the boys under his wing and, and keep him, keep him alive. I don't really know what this is going to look like, but they're interested on, on getting you in full time as a, as a hooker there in Perth. And I guess you don't really have anything to lose or decide on because you got nothing else. So yeah, yeah I jumped at it and yeah, I was, I think I, I can't remember if I'd, I think that was my first Christmas I missed in um, in Brizzy, but I I was still in Christchurch and I I went straight over to Perth and yeah began my journey over over here and at the Force. And what what was rapid rugby like, Fleddy? Did it feel like you were sort of not part of anything? Obviously, you're representing the Perth fraternity and and a huge rugby community over there. Twig, Twiggy had done a lot for you guys. What was that competition like to be a part of and not just the what it meant to people, but the rules itself really were inventive. And we've seen some of those rule changes or very similar rule changes now implemented in our Australian Super Rugby competition. Yeah, I, I found it um, extremely exciting, the sort of law changes that they they brought in, you know, like your sort of your power tries, which is yep. where you, if you go length of the field, if the phases start in your 22 and you end up scoring a try mm-hmm. without interruption, throughout that sequence you get you know, nine points or something like that just encouraging you know that attacking sort of style of rugby and yep. I think I guess you, you passed where you um, you'd see teams just I guess just always playing the territory game you never see guys running from the 22 and stuff it was just to I guess encourage that a bit so from a footy perspective it was yeah it was like for the front rowers it was extremely fast probably not yep. as physical as uh as Super Rugby is, yep. But yeah, it was it was very fast and exciting footy, and yeah, just so grateful that Twiggy kept something alive over here in the West. And well, an Australian legend, not just uh, in terms of rugby, but what he's done in his business yeah. career. Look, you're now part of the Super Rugby competition again, and you've now played, you know, in New Zealand, in Japan. You've played against some world class players. What what is it like going up against guys that ten years ago you were looking up to and and idolizing almost. And then now 10 years later, you're on the field with them. Mm. Yeah. I, I got to pinch myself sometimes, but uh, I think initially as a young kid, when I, I guess when I was in those reds programs and stuff, I, I think I respected them 
I respected them so much that I, I guess I'll tiptoe around them a bit and, and mm-hmm. be really reserved, sort of was really in my shell. Yep. I guess over time, as you, as you mature and stuff, you, you start to realize that, you know what, I'm actually here for a reason. And I personally feel that you start to come out and, and just be yourself and stuff. And, you know, there's, there's no reason to, to feel like you're, I guess, intimidated by a guy who's been an ex-All Black or a Wallaby or 150 caps or whatever. Like, at the end of the day, they're your teammates. They're all good bloke, And you just got to, yeah, really relish that opportunity to learn from their experience and apply it to your game. We're going to fast forward now. Obviously, this week you're part of the, the Wallaby squad and, and what will be a particularly interesting Ju- July series against uh, the French in the upcoming tests. Four, four new hookers in that group, Fletty. Obviously, that would have been an extremely exciting period for, for all four of you guys recently. You've got the Tars this weekend and then following the Reds. The force are so close to making these finals. These games not only just mean you're representing Perth and potentially taking to them to the first final series, but for a lot of the Western Force players, this is an opportunity to continue to pressure your names forward for the Wallaby squad, isn't it? 100%. Rennie uh, mentioned in, in the camp that obviously this was the first part and, and obviously we have done something right to, to be in the mix for this initial camp, but there's the remainder of the Super Rugby and then Hopefully, if everything goes well, the Trans-Tasman games. Mm-hmm. And that's our opportunity as players to pressure the coaches and force them into picking us, um, you know, come that test window in June. Yeah, June, July. July. Yeah. yeah, yeah, June, July. Yeah. So, you know, there's personally, from my perspective, I'm not putting any sort of external pressure on mm-hmm. myself or, or being worried about, and I, I I've said it before and I'll say it again, but like all throughout this season, there was never, the Wallabies was always an, a light at the end of the tunnel, Yeah. but it was never at the forefront of my mind. I was yep. worried about my day-to-day getting better every day and and trusting that that would put me in those spaces. But yeah, just excited to keep ripping in with the, with the boys of the force. We've got a great bunch of lads who are just so invested in, in doing our best for for the state and now fans over here who honestly Ned like I haven't um, haven't come across fans like them you know they're there through thick and thin the yeah. force obviously haven't been the most successful franchise over a number of years and you 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 walk into HBF Park and it's it's still packed out and if yeah. COVID wasn't around our stadium would be chockers every yeah. week yeah yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's an inspirational story, not just for the Force, but for yourself, Fletty. And look, uh, as a as a Brisbane boy, the Force are everyone's second team. So uh, we're wishing you all the well for the rest of the season and what a fantastic jersey it is. And we hope to see you in green and gold at the end of the year. Awesome, Ned. Thanks so much uh, for having me, mate. Really uh, enjoyed the chat. We thank Fletty Katu for joining us and what a story that is. Hey, let's jump into his game. This Friday night, we've got the Force versus Reds in Perth, live on exclusive on Stan. Mitch, this will really, this will be one for the Reds to really get up a gear for the finals campaign they're about to undergo. And two, the Force have an opportunity to play finals footy. Isn't this exciting? Yeah, um, 
oh mate, how good? And obviously that requires them to beat the Reds or have the Tars beat the Rebels. But I mean, yep. the fact that this is a team which were exiled from the pro game in this country, have come back, went on the road for all year last year just to sacrifice and make sure that Australian rugby kept ticking. Um, for them to get there would be awesome. And I don't mean to disrespect the Rebels fans listening, going, oh crap, shut up boys. We want we want <laughs> our boys to get in the final. But I mean, but it is that a, a real story, is isn't it? Like it oh, would be lovely for, for sure. It's- yeah, absolutely. And and I think a, a, it's worth noting too that we saw last week that the crowd figures were allowed up to full Huge. capacity at Perth. So the fact that we've got a t- potentially three on the trot, the force are going for this week. We've got, um, yeah, full crowd capacity, but also a chance for a final. I'd, I'd like to see a good figure out there, mate. I think this has the, the opportunity to be a barn belter, whether the force win. I wouldn't put my money on it and I'm sure we'll get into that soon, but um, yeah, no, really potentially going to be the spectacle of the season. Potentially. No, I agree. The couple of things I want to touch on in this game. One, really the force are the team I want to see play finals. And I say that because I've seen the rebels play and, and I just feel that the Brumbies will probably get it over them. What I see mm. with the force is something that we spoke about really early on is they're not afraid to throw the ball around. They've played this rapid rugby style for two or three years. Some of the players that they've got have sevens backgrounds from overseas countries. They really just don't give a rat's ass and and they Mm. throw the ball willy nilly. And what that does is it causes a team like the Brumbies who are so structured, so controlled in their game, so physical, it sort of puts them out of whack a bit. And I can really see them causing an upset if they get into the final, Mitch. The second part I want to touch on is there is the opportunity for Jordi Pataev to potentially play fullback here. Now, oh, come end that of would year, be spicy, mate. <laughs> this could be a, an evolving story, a position that the Wallabies really want to build some depth in. Jordi's been working on his kicking game. He's been touted by Dave Rennie as a potential 15. Could could we see him there on Saturday night or Friday night, sorry? You know, it wouldn't surprise me, mate. No, no doubt they'll be looking to... Like probably get Dan Gunu back into the game before finals becomes a feature because he hasn't been in that starting side. So it would make sense shifting him to 15. And I, I mean, we saw some great kicking actually last last round against the Brumbies, particularly with that 50-22 in the end that really established the momentum which got him over the line. But um, yeah, no, I, I'd like to see it. I think the Reds will win this purely because I think the juggernaut rolls on this week. But I've, I'd like to think it's going to be a close one. A big shout out though, and I think a big... Um, spotlight should be put on um, Carl Godwin, who he's mm. taken over the captain since coming back last week. I thought he did an exceptional job at getting some really good go forward, um, finding the forwards loitering around the background and tr- trying to bring them into the game pretty well. We saw the likes of Fergus Lee Warner just thriving off of some of that pill. So if, so if the force can, can play their strengths there, work Carl Godwin into the game well um, and incorporate those dynamic back rows to the Brynard standards and the, and the Fergus Lee Warners, it could be a real spectacle. But um, if, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, Ned. I'm going to say it's it's going to be a Reds win here by 10. All right, let's head over to the Tars. They play the Rebels. They're 0-7. Look, Mitch, we've been chatting, what does it take for them to get to the next level this year? But I honestly feel they really have improved in the last month. They've lost a lot of games by a few points. You know, we spoke about some of their standout young players. Is Is this a game where both teams sort of just stack with the next generation? Yeah, well, you'd, you'd for the Rebels, probably not. But mm. I think the Tars would be foolish not to. I'd love to see Benny Donaldson get a little bit more time because as Same you said here. Before, he, he was, was great, he wasn't was he? He was excellent. 
It was excellent. So I'd love to see that happen. The Rebels will be looking at this going, right, we're a team that have been touted as underperforming the last few years, given the roster they've had. They've had Dave Vessels there now for going on four years, I believe. Um, They'll be looking for results and finals isn't, anything less isn't really an option for them. So they must beat the Tars and the Reds must beat the foursome to get through. Um, I'd like to see, because we obviously saw Izzy Nicerani uh, make a comeback last week. They need to arrest this this wheels falling off the truck that's kind of happened in the last couple of weeks. We still saw a good yep. game last week, but I think there was a little bit of a lack of energy at times against mm-hmm. the Brumbies, um, particularly from the players you'd normally count on to get it mm-hmm. done. So if they can do that, it, it's on for them. But um, otherwise the Tars might as well chuck the kitchen sink at it because going into a Tasman series, they would need some runs on the board. Yeah, I think I've got the Rebels in this one. Mitch, I'm going to have to go to my rugby, super rugby multi of the week, the multi of doom. We've got Reds <laughs> to win 1-12 to 12, and we've got the Tars covering the line of 12 and a half. And if I put that in a little multi of doom, it's $5.50 for me there, Mitch. So what do you reckon about the value nice, on that? Mates. They're tempting odds, mate. They're tempting odds. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't get in the way of your infinite wisdom in this area, but I, <laughs> I, I would. I'd, I reckon, yeah. I'm thinking. I said my red, my Reds four score before. I'm thinking it's going to be Rebels by four, and the Tars to have another close loss. Well, yeah. Well, here, here's the logic. I think the both sides have a lot to play for in uh, Perth on Friday night. I've got. The force, as we just spoke about, the opportunity to play finals, whether they get there or not, I don't know in this match, Mm. but I think they'll be within range. Now, I have been impressed with the Waratahs, and I think this could be one of those things you get in front of your fans, you're 0-7. There's a potential not to win the game, but they'll be in the hunt the whole way. You know, emotion will ride you home in that last match. So that's the the logic behind the, uh, the stupidity. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I like love to hear it, Ned, and I'm sure all our Tars fans listening love to hear that as well. But yeah, no, I think regardless, I think it could make for a, for a good watch, uh, considering last week's was probably a little bit less finesse than you'd like to think from the Rebs. Um, but yeah, no, I, if, if the Tars chuck the kitchen sink at it and we look at how good Izzy Parisi's been and Lelakai Fakedi, um, yep. it's anyone's game, mate. Hey, that's all we have time for here on the Sideline Experts. Make sure you connect with us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Mitch is loving having discussions with all types of rugby fans from all over the world over on Twitter, which publish our podcast on Facebook and Instagram for all your up-to-date rugby knowledge. So uh, chuck, chuck us a like, chuck us a follow, and make sure you interact with us as much as possible. We'll see you next time on the Sideline Experts. Holy tomorrow. Um, yeah, good. Bloody, uh, you beauty.